0: series on the young and the reckless. And this song that Kaylee just sang for us could easily be a theme song for a young man we read about in the book of Genesis. His name was Joseph. When I was in Bible school, I had a professor that he could not talk about or teach about Joseph without crying. He automatically had uh, tears come to his eyes. Gloria remembered Dr. Merrick, how he loved the story of Joseph. Dr. Merrick called Joseph the Old Testament shadow of Christ. In the, in the person of Joseph, we saw the very nature and personality of Christ. Joseph is a, a story that is really quite um, intriguing. It, it intrigues everybody and anybody that ever has heard about it or read about it. Uh, some years back, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice came up with uh, a musical called *Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat*. Maybe you'll recognize this, Scotty. If you could just—maybe has anybody seen that? And I think it was Donny Osmond that—that uh, that was Joseph in that. Um, I just for the fun of it checked YouTube to see some of the clips from the musical, and I'm telling you, it's really schmaltzy, so I don't recommend anybody uh, go go and see the musical, and I don't recommend anybody get the movie. But I, I'm, I'm presenting it to you today because after thousands of years, the story still intrigues. It still captures the, the imagination of those who hear the story. And so I want to share with you a little bit about Joseph this morning, and then uh, hopefully um, look at what we can learn from this young man. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob had, uh, as you know, run away from home because uh, of some, um, some dirty dealing in his home. He uh, stole his brother's birthright, and rather than be killed by Esau, he took off and he went to his uncle Laban's place. And when he got there, he saw this beautiful young woman, Rachel, and determined that he was going to marry her, and asked, "What does he have to do to marry the daughter?" And the father said, "Well, you got to work for uh, for seven years, and you can have my daughter as your wife." And so he said, "I'll do anything for her." How many guys here would work seven years for the wife that you're with right now? <laughs> and so Joseph did that. He worked for seven years, and uh, of course, in those days, it didn't have electric lights. And and if you're drinking a little bit, uh, uh, maybe your your eyesight's not what it ought to be. Now I, I'm just. I'm surmising that because I've never been drunk before, uh, except uh, when I had my teeth worked on. I think that's some kind of anesthetic. I think that's about the closest I've ever had to the feeling. So here's uh, Joseph, and he's he's uh, it's his wedding night, and he's taking his new bride to his tent. He wakes up in the morning and finds out, lo and behold, it's not Rachel, it's Leah, and uh, Leah is Rachel's sister, and uh, Jacob is or uh, Joseph is right uh, ripped off about that, to put it uh, mildly. And he goes to his father and says, what's going on here? And, and, uh, and Jacob says, well, you can't marry the second daughter until the first one's married off. So we figured we may as well get that one married off and now you can get married to the next one. Uh, any fathers here willing to marry the two daughters off to one guy? Well, <laughs> well, here's what Jacob, here's what Laban did. So, uh, Laban said, look, work for me for another seven years and you can have the second daughter. And so Joseph, uh, or, or Jacob marries Rachel. Now, when they're married, uh, when he's married to these two women, the eldest, uh, sister, who's Leah, the first wife, is not loved by Jacob the way the second sister, Rachel, is. And, um, and it, it breaks Leah's heart. And, uh, Leah is more fertile, has more children than Rachel. In fact, Rachel's not having any kids. And, uh, now Leah's thinking, here, I'm, I'm winning the game here now. Jacob will love me more now because I'm giving him kids, but Leah's not. It's actually quite intriguing because this, this battle breaks up between the two women to see who can give Jacob the most kids. And uh, Rachel and Leah end up giving their her, their maidservants to, to, uh, to Jacob. And Jacob now has got, got four women he's having children with. He ends up with 13 kids. But along the way... Uh Rachel. Rachel has a baby, and that baby is Joseph. Now, this baby now becomes the one that Jacob loves the most. Jacob loves Joseph. He loves Joseph so much that he makes for Joseph a beautiful, multicolored robe, an expensive robe. And all the brothers and the sister know that Joseph is a favorite, and the brothers hate Joseph. They hate his guts, and if that were not enough, Joseph starts getting these dreams. And in these dreams, uh, as they're interpreted, the whole family is bowing down to Joseph. Now, that's fine, Joseph. You got that kind of a dream? Fine. But then go, don't go telling everybody about it. And that's exactly what he does. He goes and tells his father, Dad, I had this dream. And, you know, you and Mom were bowing down to me. And my brothers were bowing. My sister, everybody was bowing down to me. Isn't that cool, Dad? And the dad gets angry at him and says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Scolds the poor kid. But now Jacob has made this monster. (laughs) And the brothers, they're so angry at Joseph for his attitude that they want to kill him. And you know the story goes, one day the young 17-year-old Joseph is on his way out to the field to uh, check on his brothers, bring food, whatever. And uh, the brothers see him coming from a long way off, and they say, "You know what? Let's—we've had enough of this. Let's kill him. We'll just kill him, and we'll throw him into the into the into the well." Here, Reuben, the eldest, knowing that his father's heart would be broken if his youngest brother was killed, decides that no, he's going to persuade him just to throw them in the well, and then, then later on he'd come back and rescue the kid and let him go. Well, they... They take Joseph, they throw him in the well, take away his robe, and Reuben's not present when they decide that they're going to sell Joseph to some Midianite traders who are passing by. Reuben returns, and the boy's gone, and they say, now what are we going to tell Dad? So they, they find a the little animal, they kill the animal, smear blood on the robe, and they bring the robe back with the blood on it and say, Dad, Joseph was killed. Joseph goes into a deep, or Jacob goes into a deep depression and Joseph goes to Egypt. He gets to Egypt and the Midianites sell Joseph to Potiphar, who is the captain of the guard in, in Egypt. He's Pharaoh's one of Pharaoh's main men. This young Hebrew boy Joseph arrives there and his main desire is to please and honor god and so what does he do he gets into the house of potiphar and he does the very best job that he can do he does such a good job in fact that, that potiphar starts promoting him until finally young joseph now is head of the household and potiphar will trust joseph with anything and everything his trust is complete and one day potiphar goes away leaves town and he feels he can trust Joseph with his household and Potiphar's wife makes an advance he wants she wants Joseph to go to bed with her Joseph not wanting to disappoint or dishonor his god and not to dishonor his master he runs from the house he runs away but he could have got away with it he could have committed adultery But rather than dishonor God or dishonor his master, Potiphar, he runs from the house. When when Potiphar returns, Potiphar's wife is afraid that for sure Joseph is going to spill the beans. And so rather than going on the defensive, she goes on the offensive. As soon as Potiphar returns, she says, My husband, my husband, that young Hebrew that you brought into our house, he tried to rape me. Potiphar rises up in fury and takes the young Hebrew boy and has him thrown into prison. Now, young Joseph's in prison. He said, God, where are you? I'm doing my very best to honor you, to please you, to live a squeaky clean life. And this is how I get treated? Maybe you felt like that. You're doing your very best. Trying to honor God in all your ways. And things don't seem to be getting better. They seem to be getting worse. And that's the way poor Joseph was feeling. God, if this is what it means to be a Christian... So there he is in the prison. And Joseph, rather than having a bad attitude, says, God, I'm going to serve you here. Do the very best of my ability. I'm going to do my very best. Be the best prisoner that there can be. Well, to make a very long story just long, Joseph Joseph begins to rise in the ranks in the prison. So next thing you know, he's the ruler of the prison. First, he's governor of Potiphar's house, and I was governor of the prison. While he's in prison, Potiphar's, two of Potiphar's or, uh, two of uh, Pharaoh's main servants are thrown into jail because uh, they've displeased Pharaoh. One is a, one is a, a baker, the other one's uh, like the butler. And uh, both of them, while they're in prison, have a dream. And they're talking amongst themselves, we had this dream and, and uh, we don't know what it means. And Joseph says, well, I can, I can interpret your dream for you. Joseph hears the baker's dream and says, I'm sorry to tell you, sir, but your dream foretells your death. You're going to die. The butler now is a little bit afraid to tell him what his dream is, but tells him anyway. And Joseph says, I've got good news for you. You're going to be restored. You're going to be back in Pharaoh's household. But listen, when you when you get back into Pharaoh's good graces, would you do me a favor and don't forget about me? (laughs) Would you tell them how I've been falsely accused? When you get back into Pharaoh's... Servus, would you put a good word in for me? The, the baker's put to death, butler returns to his job, and it's a full two years. And there's poor Joseph rotting away in prison. Seemingly, God has forgotten about him. The butler's forgotten about him. His dad's forgotten about him. His brothers have forgotten. Everybody's forgotten him. But then Pharaoh has a dream. There's a couple of dreams, and nobody can interpret them. And suddenly the light goes on for the butler. Oh, yeah, that young Hebrew boy in prison. He says, Pharaoh, there's a young guy in prison who interpreted my dream and said that things were going to work out good for me. <laughs> Maybe he can help you out. Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells a dream. Joseph interprets a dream and says, sir, for seven years you're going to have such an abundance in this land that will blow your mind. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. But this is what I would counsel you to do. Store it up. Bill Burns, store it up. Save every little bit. Don't waste even an ounce. And then Pharaoh tells the second dream. In the second dream it foretells seven years of Extreme famine in the land. Pharaoh can see that the hand of God is upon this young man. This young man who was accused of adultery, this young man who was left to rot in a prison, has obviously got the hand of God on him. How many know today that it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't doesn't matter what your past is, it doesn't matter what people have said about you, or done to you, that when the hand of God is upon you, God will promote you, advance you. You will be successful in whatever you do. Because God is on your side. And Pharaoh knew that the hand of God was upon this young man. And so Pharaoh said, you know what? I'm going to make you governor in Egypt. In fact, you're going to be second to me. You're going to be number two in the line. Now, can't you imagine a Potiphar's wife is quaking in her boots? It doesn't say that in the scripture, but you can't help but think of that, can you? Joseph rises up to the number, number two position in the land. And he makes Pharaoh wealthy beyond even Pharaoh's wildest dreams. God uses Joseph, my friends, to save Egypt, to save the world, and most importantly, to save his very own family. Now listen to me. You might wonder about the significance of this. But listen. Because... Joseph went to Egypt. It meant that Joseph's very own family, Jacob and all his brothers, were saved. Can I remind you of something today? Can I remind you of who Jacob is? Can I remind you of who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are? They are the patriarchs. And it's through the line of Abraham, listen to this, it's through the line of Abraham that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came. And God used Joseph to preserve the line through which Christ would come to be your Savior and mine. Now, some would say hallelujah to that. Isn't that amazing? What happens when a young man submits to God? Let's look at the scripture this morning. Acts chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. It was a sermon given by Stephen, the very first martyr of the early church. Listen to what he says. Because the patriarchs, that is the brothers of Joseph, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph... They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. I would like you to notice that word, that phrase, but God was with him. Would you say that? But God was with him. Say it again. But God was with him. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Is God with you? Do you know he's with you? Well, let's take a look at Joseph's life this morning in the time that remains to us and see what Joseph can teach us as, as trusting God in all the circumstances of life. Can we do that? First of all, we're called to trust God when we are under attack. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. Because they were jealous of Joseph, Joseph became the object of their attack. Now, some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, you know, Pastor, right now in my life, you're not going to believe this, but I'm under attack. Some of you are under attack at your jobs, at a place where you work, because of your, because of your, your faith in God, because you will not bend your, your, uh, your principles, your morals. Because people see you as being, uh, trying to be better than everybody else. Maybe you're under attack in your family because you want to serve God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Your neighbors or your, your family members, your friends, they think that you're, you're, uh, losing it. They think that, they think you're going a little bit overboard. Perhaps they think that you're a little bit too hyper-religious. Do they think that about you? Well, here's Joseph. He's under attack. Even his dad was angry at him. His da- Why was his dad angry at him? Because his dad felt, this- here's this young squirt telling him that he was going to be bowing down. If you understand the world at that time, there's no way a son would ever talk to his father like that. His father would have the right to beat him for being disobedient and being disrespectful. And so Joseph is under attack by the, the one, the only one he knows of that really loves him. He's even attacking him. His brothers were angry at him because, well, first of all, because he was the favorite in the family. And secondly, because his dad made that beautiful robe for him. And thirdly, because of the dreams where he is uh, going to be, or saying he's going to be worshipped by his family. Wow. Potiphar's wife was angry at him because he wouldn't give in and wouldn't, wouldn't go to bed with her. Potiphar was angry because of the false accusations. He thought for sure Joseph was guilty. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. What is your response when you're under attack? What do you do when people falsely accuse you? What do you do when people talk about you behind your back and you know there's rumors going on about you? What do you do? Joseph could have started a A special defense campaign. He could have gone around handing out buttons. Joseph is innocent. (laughs) Joseph is innocent. I didn't do it. I'm not in the wrong. This is what really happened. Here's the true story. Let me tell you something, my friends. You could spend your whole life going around defending yourself and telling, trying to get the, the true story out about what really happened. Do you know that you could spend your whole life doing that? And even then, you wouldn't get the whole story out. That's what we do so often when we're under attack. But we just try to do our very best to get out there and get the story straight. And I'm going to straighten everybody out. And everybody's been talking about me. I'm going to make sure that everybody knows the true story about what really happened. You know what I'm talking about. Joseph could have started hurling abuses at his brothers, telling them they're, they're a bunch of, uh, well, you know, put them down, tell them they're stupid, tell them that he's a favorite, na 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 He practically did that, didn't he? But he could have really rubbed it in, couldn't he? He didn't do that. He could have quit. He could have said, God, I'm not going to even bother trying anymore. What's this, what is the point of, of doing my very best for you, God, when it doesn't get me anywhere? He could have quit. He could have thrown in the towel and said, I'm not going to bother. This Christian life, it's just not worth it. Why should I bother? Some of you felt like that, haven't you? Why, why bother? Why carry on? Or you could become like everybody else. Try desperately to fit in. You know? What's the lowest common denominator? That's what I'll be. Joseph wouldn't do that. No way was Joseph going to lower his standards so that he could just sort of fit in. Under attack, this is what he does. He keeps his mouth shut and he prays. I'm going to tell you something today, folks. As a Christian, when you are under attack, As a Christian, when when people are coming against you and talking about you behind your back and putting you down, here's what you need to do. Shut up. Don't go around defending yourself. You don't need to do that. David understands this so well. Saul was attacking him constantly. You know what he says? This is what David says in the Psalms. He says, the Lord is my vindicator. And then he says, and God will make my justice shine like the noonday sun. Folks, when God is in your corner, when God is your defense lawyer, when God comes to your aid, folks, you don't need to say a thing. You let God speak on your behalf and watch what happens. You're under attack today by your spouse, by your children. Keep your mouth shut and let God make your justice shine. God will be your vindicator, but keep your mouth shut. And while your mouth is shut, you're going to be tempted to speak. So what you should do is speak to God. Keep your mouth shut and pray. Say, God, I'm under attack again. Help me to keep my mouth shut and keep my eyes on you. And watch what God will do. The second thing you need to do is you need to trust God when you're sinking. Anybody ever had that feeling, okay, I'm not, I'm not making it, I'm losing it? I'm, I'm, I'm going under for the third time. I'm about to drown. Life, the, the, the problems of life are just about more than I can handle right now. Well, here's this young 17-year-old boy who teaches us what to do when we're feeling like we're sinking. They sold him into, into Egypt as a slave, the Bible says. He's thrown into a well. His own brothers, his own flesh and blood have thrown him into a well. They've betrayed him. They sold him as a slave. And we listen to my friends, in that day and age, once you were sold as a slave, you could never be set free. Unless someone, someone paid for your release. Unless someone paid to set you free. So now here he is, he's saying, God, I had all these dreams I was going to be, I was going to, I was going to be the, the main man. I was going to be the one that everybody looked up to, that everybody bowed down to. I was going to be the governor. How on earth can that happen, God, if I'm a slave? He's sinking, and he's sinking deep, and he's sinking fast, and he's only 17 years old. And he's thinking, I've got my whole life ahead of me. Is there any point, is there any point in going on? Maybe you felt like that. Maybe you feel like, man, you had such a rough start in this life. This life has been difficult from day one. Your marriage is difficult. Your family life is difficult. Your job is, everything is difficult. Your finances are in terrible condition. Your, your health is not good. Man, you feel like you're sinking and you feel like it's all hopeless. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You're, you're in good company because here's Joseph and if anybody had a feeling like he was sinking, it's him. He's falsely accused. And when he, when he gets to Egypt, he ends up in prison. And then he's left forgotten. Boy, if anybody, anybody had the sense that he was overwhelmed or thinking it was Joseph. Now, what would your response be? That's it. God, I quit. I'm not being a Christian anymore. That's it, God. I'm not going to church anymore. That's it, God. I'm running away, to, away from anything that has to do with God. Here's what most of us do. Is that we begin addictive behaviors. Some start drinking. Some start overeating. Others do drugs. We'll do anything we can to help dull the senses so that we can get through the stress and the pain of it all. But listen to my friends. This is is what Joseph does. He could have lost his dreams and become disillusioned. He could have said, God, what's the point? Do what he does turns to God. And he keeps his eyes on God and he keeps his heart encouraged. And here's what you need to do, folks, when you start to sink. Don't concentrate or focus on the circumstances. Get your eyes on God. Peter was invited by Christ to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Do you remember that? And as long as Peter was looking to Jesus, this guy was walking on water. But the minute he got his eyes off of Jesus, what happened to Peter? He began to sink. Listen, my friends, you can walk on water. (laughs) You hear what I said? You can walk on water. You're going through hard times right now. You can get through it. Your finances are out of whack. You can get through it. Your marriage, you got marriage problems. You can get through it. Your family falling apart. You can get through it. But what you gotta do, my friends, is get your eyes off of the waves, off of the storm, off of the circumstances. Get your eyes on God and let God do a miracle for you today because God loves you. He loves you and he hasn't forgotten about you. He loves you. He will not let you go. Get your eyes on God. Listen to me. When when the going gets tough and you feel like you're sinking, start to sing. People are going to think you're nuts. <laughs> They're going to think you're just downright crazy. He's finally lost it. <laughs> the marbles are finally starting to fall. He's start to sing, start to worship God, start to praise God when things start to fall apart. Get your eyes on God. Start to worship and sing and to praise the One who's going to liberate you and set you free. And you tell the devil that you're in God's hands, you're not in his hands. You tell the devil he's got no control, no authority, no power over you, that God's got all the power and all the authority over you. You sing as loud as you can. Sing till your ears hurt, until everybody else's ears hurt. But sing, rejoice and be glad because you belong to him. You belong to him. Joseph trusted God when he was under attack. Joseph trusted God when it seemed like he was sinking and sinking fast. And Joseph trusted God when the responsibility was in his hands. I love what it says in Acts 7.10, But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him rule over Egypt and all his palace. Let's say something to you this morning. Be very careful what you, what you pray for, because you just might get it. Here's a young man who had a dream. He had a vision of what God wanted to do with his life. And it seemed like it was, it was all falling apart. You say, God, where are you in all this? What is going on? But he never lost sight of the dream, and he kept on believing. And finally, he got what he prayed for. He became the governor of Egypt. Now, I want you just to stop and notice something for a minute. You remember we talked about being under attack and we talked about sinking? Well, listen to me. Well, it seemed as though... Listen, this is good. When it seemed as though Joseph was sinking... When it seemed as though Joseph was under attack and wasn't going to make it... Listen to this. God was preparing Joseph for the work of governing Egypt. Did you know that? Did you you know that? You think that you are sinking and that you're in the devil's hands. You're not in the devil's hands. You're in God's hands. Would you tell a person beside you, you're in God's hands. Go tell them that. What did they say? <laughs> you're, in, you're not in the devil's hands. You're in God's hands. Now listen to me. You may be going through a difficult time right now, but listen to me. God is preparing you. He's strengthening you. He's testing you. He's developing your faith. He's preparing you for the work that he wants you to do. Joseph was being prepared to govern Egypt. And what does he do first? He governs Potiphar's household. He's learning the ropes. And God says, you know, what, Joseph, Potiphar's house just ain't big enough for you. We need something bigger. Oh, let's see. Okay, we'll send you to prison. We'll let you govern there. And Joseph goes to prison. And God says, okay, try this one out. See how you handle this. And Joseph governs the prison and he does a great job of it. And God says, okay, now you're ready to govern the whole land. Listen to me, folks. When God begins to do a work in you, it might not make sense and it might not be the way you would do it, but I'm going to tell you something. You are in God's hands and he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And he will, it's faithful to complete the work that he's doing in your life. When he got to Potiphar's house, he said, I'm going to do my best. He didn't rant and rave and rail about how it was unfair and this is, I shouldn't be here and this is not where I belong. I belong in better places. I, I should be doing great. No, what does he do? He gets in there and he gives it his very best. And when he gets to prison, what does he do? He, I don't deserve to, no, does he do that? I don't deserve to be here. This is not fair. I shouldn't be. What does he do? He says, where can I serve? I'm going to do my very best. And then God promotes him. He could have walked in arrogance. He could have walked in pride. But what does he do? Wherever he goes, he's going to honor God, he's going to do his very best. Folks, do you know that during these difficult times God was testing Joseph's moral fiber? Could he be trusted in the presence of Potiphar's wife? And Joseph comes through with flying colors at A plus. Could he be trusted? In that prison, he comes through, A+. Plus. And God says, Joseph, you're ready, to, you're ready to rule. You're ready to be a success. My brother, Kerry, worked for many different people over the years. He worked hard. He gave his very best. He never held back. He didn't say, this is not my business, and I'm making somebody else rich. Why should I do my best? But he gave his best. And one day, he was working at Maple Leaf. It's a, it's a food processing plant. Massive, massive. And he gave his very best while he worked for another company. He did such a good job that eventually the, the, the manager of the plant said, we will not have anybody else but Carrie Duncalf working in this plant. He alone will do the work. And if you look at my brother's work, he's an artist. Every pipe is perfectly straight. Everything works together. It's, it's true art. And while he was doing work there, one of, the, um, one of the contractors in Winnipeg was working there doing a job and noticed my brother's work. And it said, Carrie, you're amazing. Now Carrie's working for another company, making somebody else rich. The day came when finally Kerry was able to go into business on his own. It's something he always wanted to do. And guess what? When Maple Leaf found out that Kerry had his own business, guess who they called to take on this... Co- now, this is the guy who's working out of his garage. He's now taken on this multi, multi-million dollar contract. And now he's not just doing Winnipeg, but doing Brandon. They're asking him to go to Saskatchewan. And we're talking multi-million dollar, multi, multi-million dollar contracts. Why? Because he was faithful and he did his very best, even though he was taken advantage of and used poorly. He did his very best and God blessed him. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be a success, my friends... In whatever, in any any area of your life, as a grandpa, as a grandma, as an employee, as a as a young student getting ready to go to the workforce, if you want to be a success, then you need to put your faith in God and do your best. That's what Joseph did. He did his very best, and God sees that and God promotes that. Did you know that? When I came to this church, there wasn't a whole lot of money to hire me, but I knew God wanted me here, and the church loved me, and I loved the church, and and a great thing began. And I worked hard, very, very hard, and God honored that. And then it was time to add people to our to our numbers. Marilyn Wedley came alongside of me and helped me do the deal to get this, get this building because of connections. And Marilyn served without a, without a paycheck for almost her whole Christian life, serving to the very best of her ability. And so when it came time that we were able to, to take on somebody, Marilyn was an obvious choice. It was a thrill, a thrill, A joy. And here's Marilyn having the opportunity to serve and to use her gifts that God has, has honed and, and strengthened over the years. But Marilyn served free of charge for a number of years. What a joy it was to hire Marilyn. The building got to be too big for me to control, to handle. A lot of people don't know Tim was working behind the scenes and doing stuff that nobody knew anything about. Worked long hours. I'd be here till 11, 11.30 at night working on the building before we moved into it. And Tim was here at my side. He arrived after his work and then stay with me till 11 o'clock at night. And then we'd go have a bowl of soup at Salisbury House. Those were the days when I used to go to Salisbury House for a bowl of soup. And so when the time came where we were able to hire Tim, it was such a joy. There's a man who worked his tail off to get this building into shape. And then Taryn came as an intern. Wasn't getting a paycheck. Wasn't getting much. And uh, anything that we asked her to do, she said yes. Never said no. Never said, how much do I get? How much do I get paid? Just where can I serve? How can I serve? I want to tell you something today. If you want to be a success, if you want to see your dreams fulfilled, then you've got to put your trust in God, and you've got to show up for duty and do whatever God wants you to do. And God will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. And know this, that God will prepare you. And it may seem as though things aren't going your way, but when you get your eyes on God... Lo and behold, you discover that your times are in God's hands. Your life is in God's hands. And He will be your vindicator. He'll make your justice shine at the noonday sun. I'm going to close with this video clip. Can we see that video clip? Father, we recognize today you know better than I. You know better than each and every one of us. The amazing and encouraging thing about Joseph is that at the age of 17, he understood what it was to trust God. He understood at age 17 that God knows best. And some of us here today are feeling like life is spinning out of control. We feel like we're under attack we feel like we're sinking. We feel like we've got the weight of the, sh- of the world on our shoulders. And we feel like we can't go on. We look to someone like Joseph and we see a pattern, an example for us of what it means to trust God. Help us, Lord, to let go. Help us today, O oh God, to trust you. Some of us... I've been trying to defend ourselves. We've been trying to get even. God, we need your grace and strength to, to keep our mouths shut and keep our eyes on you. Some of us have feel like giving up. We need to start worshiping and praising you and singing your praises, even though it seems like we should be doing the opposite. We need to worship you. and God... We need to do our very best wherever we are, whatever we're doing. We need to work hard and keep our eyes on you. And we know, God, you'll give us grace and strength to be more than overcomers, more than conquerors through Christ. And so we commit ourselves to you now, Lord. Commit each person to you right now, each marriage that's struggling, each family that's having difficulties each person who's struggling financially, each person who's struggling at work, each one who struggles with their health, each one who wonders if God is near, God be near and make your presence known. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and sing, shall we?